today we're starting a new series. We wrapped up last week our, our seven-week multiply series, and today we're starting a new series about politics. And uh, thankfully, this topic is not controversial by any means at all. Thankfully, there's not a single person in this church that has strong opinions on politics, believe it or not. I know, it's totally shocking. So many of you guys have just said, Joey, we just know you have this whole thing figured out, and uh, we're not worried about this at all. I don't have a, a favorite candidate who I'm very passionate about by any means, and I'm not even worried about November 3rd at all, and it's just going to be a great time. And so I figured, you know, after last week's series and the Multiply series, it'd, it'd be good to, uh, you know, just do something casual, and so... We're going to have a lot of fun here, but there's, there's an old story of a bishop who was giving a message to his congregation. He was giving the homily, the sermon, and he said to this congregation that when he was giving a, a controversial message, a, a message that could be divisive for people, he said, well, church, 30% of what I'm about to tell you is wrong. He said, the problem is I'm not sure which 30%. And the problem is a message like this can feel a little bit like that. And so uh, I ask, number one, for your ears, but number two, for your grace. Some of you, I'm sure, will lovingly tell me which 30% I got wrong after the service. I'm more than willing to hear that. I certainly don't think that I have this whole thing figured out. But I know the Bible, I love the Bible, and I'm even interested in politics in some ways. And so... My heart in this series, just so you know where I'm at on the front end, I have one objective for this series. And believe it or not, it's the same objective that I have for every sermon series. And it's that you would know God more and that as a result, you would love him more. Now, I think that's something we can all get behind. Amen? Amen. I thought after first service, I was going to have about two friends, and that's my wife and my mom. Uh, <laughs> but... Turns out I still had a few friends. Uh, I heard I made a few people nervous at a couple points, but, but we, we brought it home safely. We landed the plane in one piece. Uh, we didn't lose anybody. There was no riots. And so um, this, this topic here, it can be challenging. It can be controversial. But I do have one objective, and that's that you would know God, that you would know his son Jesus more. And as a result, you would fall deeply, passionately in love with him. That's my heart for this series. You know, I, I've talked to uh, a lot of you over the last year or two about politics. It's something that uh, comes up. It's in the news cycle like every now and then, not super often. Um, but every now and then, somebody will have a conversation with me about politics. Uh, and I've had some of you in this room tell me, Pastor Joey, I have thoughtfully, prayerfully, cautiously through much deliberation, given this to the Lord, and I feel like God wants me to vote for Donald Trump. In fact, I feel so strongly about this that I'm not sure how any Christian can vote for Joe Biden. That's what some of you have said to me. I see some heads nodding. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands. I've had others of you in this room tell me, Pastor Joey, I have thoughtfully, prayerfully, through much deliberation and consideration, feel like the Lord wants me to vote for Joe Biden. And I don't know how any Christian can vote for Donald Trump. 
And so I have these two sides here, which, of course, rile each other up. And then there's this third camp, which riles everybody up. And it's the people who have said to me, Pastor Joey, I have thoughtfully, prayerfully, through much consideration, decided that I cannot in good conscience vote for either candidate. And so there are people, I want you all to hear what I'm saying pretty clearly. I'm not talking about out there in America somewhere. I'm talking about people in this room from all three of those camps. The people that you raise your hands next to, the people that you are sitting next to. Some of you are giving your neighbor the stink eye right now. I see it. (laughs) People that you worship Jesus alongside every week feel very differently. In fact, not just people in this room, but mature Christians, well-respected Christians with national platforms. There are some people, men by the name of Pat Robertson from the 700 Club, well-known Christian television show. He is a passionate Donald Trump supporter. He is a prophetic type, and so he has a lot of prophetic words about this sort of thing. Lance Wall now is another one, real Pentecostal. He has prophetic words that Donald Trump is God's man for this hour. And if you want to be in line with what God says, you will vote for Donald Trump. And so these are people with big names, big platforms. Another well-known man, not so much in our camps, but in the Baptist circles, a man by the name of Wayne Grudem. He wrote a big systematic theology book, which I love. Wayne Grudem, maybe you don't know his name, but maybe you know something that he helped to create. If you have ever read the ESV, the English Standard Version, anybody ever heard of the ESV? He is one of the translators of the ESV. Pretty smart guy, right? Here's what he says. He says, I support Donald Trump because of the policies he has enacted and will enact in spite of his character flaws. So some of you would feel like this characterizes your view of politics and your view on this whole situation. Now, others, people with big names, national platforms, feel quite the opposite. John Huffman, was, uh, he's the board chair of Christianity Today. He's actually, he was the pastor for President Nixon. So this is a, a long-time, deep, well-respected Christian. He said he's voting for Joe Biden. In fact, Billy Graham's granddaughter, her name is Jerusha Dufford. Here's what she said. She said, I am a Christian, I am pro-life, and I am voting for Joe Biden. So what do we do when we have these Christians on these opposite sides? In fact, one more, Beth Moore. Has anybody heard of Beth Moore? Well-known female Christian Bible teacher, does a lot of women's Bible studies. She said that in 2016, she felt she could not vote for either candidate. And so on Twitter, which is where all the great political discourse happens... Somebody said that if she was not voting for Trump, she was turning her back on God. And here's what she responded by saying. She said, I assure you, there are many of us who have said no to Trump, but indeed not said no to God. The not, all caps, was her tweet, not mine. But that's what she said. She said, I don't feel like I can vote for him. I don't feel like I can vote for Hillary. And so she ended up voting third party. Now, I... I had somebody after first service say it was at this point in the message that they started to get real nervous. But don't worry, we're going to bring it home. We're going we're to land this plane safely. So what do we do 
when not only within our congregation, but deeply respected, well-known leaders, national platforms have very extreme opposite positions than each other. We start with the Word of God. We start with this place that you and I believe is unfallible, it's unshakable, it's not mired in the he said, she said, the back and forth of the left and the right and the news cycle and fake news. Listen, we start with this unshakable rock of scripture. And so in this series, I want to talk to you about the politics of the kingdom. And this week, part one, I want to talk about allegiance. Somebody say allegiance. I want to talk about where our allegiance should be as followers of Jesus. How does our allegiance to Jesus interact with our party, with our nation? And so we start here with the clear and unmistakable teaching of Scripture. Now, politics, this is no surprise, politics is about power. Politics is about leadership. Politics is about governments. It's about how people in charge orchestrate how they run, how they manage societies. And the Bible tells us that the source of all leadership, government, and power is God. Can I get an amen? Everybody tracking with me so far? The source of all government, all leadership, all power, glory, and dominion and honor belongs forever to God. Let me read to you a few verses here. My uh, note-taking app decided to update in the middle of first service, so my notes look totally different than when I made them, but that's all right. We're going to figure this thing out. It says, Psalm 47, verses 6 through 8, says, sing praise to God, sing praise. Sing praise to our King, sing praise. Sing a song of wisdom, for God is King of the whole earth. God reigns over the nations, and God is seated on his holy throne. That's something that you and I can all agree with. That no matter what president gets elected on November 3rd, no matter what party is in power, no matter how you feel about the left or the right or the libertarian party or the green party, or maybe you hate all the parties, I don't know, but no matter what side of the aisle you can be on, whatever side you find yourself on, we can all agree that Yahweh is king, that God is king, and that he reigns over the nations. That is something that you and I can start with right here as stable, unshakable ground. That God is the king. Before we talk about complex political issues, let's talk first and foremost about what really matters, and it's that God is king. I can tell you that matters way more than anything else, because if that wasn't the case, we'd be in a whole lot of trouble. And so this is the starting point for not just our political theology, this is the starting point for all of our theology. This is the starting point for all of our beliefs. Before we talk about marriage, finances, career, your health, your time, your gifts and your talents, we start with everything coming back to this idea that God is king, that God is on the throne. 1 Timothy 6, go ahead and turn there, otherwise it'll be on the screen. Paul says to his spiritual son, Timothy, God is the blessed 
and only sovereign, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. That there may be other kings, prime ministers, presidents, dictators, people all around the world in every nation who think they have power. But the Bible tells us that the king of those kings, the Lord of those lords, is God himself. And it says that God is sovereign. And the word sovereign, it means to have the freedom and the right to rule, to self-govern. So when Uh, All of us as Americans, when we decided we didn't need the King of England anymore, the founding fathers declared that the United States of America was sovereign, that we had the right to rule ourselves. And in this idea of sovereignty is the idea that you don't need anybody else's permission. We don't need the King of England's permission to rule because we're sovereign and we rule ourselves. And here, it's interesting, Paul says God is the only true sovereign. He's the only sovereign. That he has all power, he has all authority, and he does it just because it's who he is. He doesn't need your permission. He doesn't need my permission. He doesn't need President Trump's permission or candidate Joe Biden's permission. He is just the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and that's how it is. That's how this thing works. That's how the universe works. That this is the the fundamental reality of the world, that God is sovereign, that he is free to rule over all of heaven and earth. There are countless forms of government in the world. In America, we have what's called a democratic republic. It's a hybrid between a pure democracy and a republic. There are monarchies. There are constitutional monarchies, oligarchies. There's Karl Marx's communism. The Greek philosopher Plato, he said the best form of government was to have a philosopher king. All these different forms of government, right? there's, There's dictators who rule with an iron fist. And yet, out of all these types of government, which you and I create in this world, there's one form of government, which is the baseline of the universe, which is the foundation of everything that exists in heaven and on earth. And it's this, the universe is a monarchy where God himself is king of kings and Lord of lords. That is the reality of this universe. This thing is not a democracy, it's a monarchy, where God himself rules and reigns as king, and because you and I didn't vote him in, we can't vote him out. He's running this thing from everlasting to everlasting, and he rules and reigns over the nations. Now let's add another layer to this. The Bible adds another layer, so we're going to keep moving on here. So Psalm chapter 2. God says this, God says, I have installed my king on Zion, my holy mountain. I will declare the Lord's decree. He said to me, you are my son. Today I have become your father. Ask of me and I will make the nations your inheritance and the ends of the earth your possession. So what's happening here? In this psalm, there's a conversation happening 
where David, this is a psalm of King David, the guy who uh, killed Goliath. And it says here, God says to him, you are my king and I have put you in Zion. That's the mountain where the city of Jerusalem is built on. And he says, on Zion, I have installed my king. So now there's not just God himself, but God has an anointed one who will be king. And it says here, God, God says to him, you're my son and I have become your father. And so there was this idea in the Old Testament that the king was the son of God. He was this sort of brought into the family to co-rule and reign with God, with the Lord. Now, what happened was, over the course of generations, David and his line did not actually rule over the nations. And so these psalms became what are known as messianic psalms, psalms about the Messiah. And so there was this idea that one day there would be a son of God and a son of David who would receive the nations as his inheritance. Isn't that fascinating? that all of the nations are the inheritance of God's Messiah. Now, you and I know who God's Messiah is. Who is it, church? If the pastor ever asks you a question, just say Jesus. You can't go wrong. (laughs) Like nine times out of ten. It's either the Bible or Jesus. You and I, we, we we know who God's Messiah is. We know who God's anointed one is. And so it's the Messiah's responsibility, the Messiah's vocation to co-rule at the Father's right hand, to co-rule with God over the nations. And so the Bible is, if you want to summarize the whole Bible, one way you could summarize it is to say that the Bible is the story of a king and his kingdom. And so when Jesus shows up on the scene, he begins to talk about a kingdom, He says, repent and believe the good news. All over the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, it just says over and over that Jesus came announcing the kingdom of God, announcing the kingdom of heaven. And so the Gospel is the good news that Jesus is king. And let me tell you, church, that is excellent news. It is the best news because there's no king like Jesus. See, as, as Americans, we get uncomfortable with kings. We don't want a king. We want a rule of the people, by the people, and for the people. But let me tell you, there is something better than rule of the people, and it's rule of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. This is the best kind of king, and it's the best kind of kingdom. The best kind of kingdom. And so here's what Colossians says about this king. This is one of my favorite verses, one of my favorite passages. Colossians 1, 16 through 18 says this. For everything was created by Jesus in heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and by him all things hold together. He's also the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might come to have first place in everything. Somebody say first place. So that he might come to have first place in everything. 
I love this passage. It says thrones, dominions, powers, visible and invisible. What does that mean? Visible means the things that you and I see, nations, kingdoms, empires, presidents, prime ministers, dictators, kings, lords, anything that you and I can see, physical. Invisible means the spiritual forces, spiritual forces of light and even the darkness which rebelled against him originally, all spiritual forces were made through him and for him. And so here in Colossians, we see the supremacy of Christ, that all things, all thrones, visible and invisible, they were not just created by Jesus, but they were created for Jesus. They exist to glorify and honor his leadership. And not only is he head of all political powers, not only head of all spiritual powers, but it says here he's head of the church. How many of you are glad that he's the one leading this thing? And then it says he's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he may come to have first place in everything. That through the resurrection, He's first. He's the firstborn from the dead. And because he's first, he has the ultimate place in everything. He's the first. He's like a kid who has dibs because he got there first. (laughs) Except instead of just getting first in some random game, he's first over the whole universe. That he's the first one alive from the dead. The first one who's part of the new creation. See, uh, we've been made new, but only because he was made new first. One day, all of creation will be made new, but only because he was made new first. See, some of you are saying, yeah, 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 all this stuff. We know all this stuff about Jesus. We know the gospel. We know all the Psalms about God being in charge. Get to the politics already. Listen, church, this is the politics. This is the politics of the Bible. If you want to read what the Bible says about politics, it will tell you about the one who is first placed in everything. It'll tell you about the one who reigns over the nations. It will tell you about the one who's been raised up to the Father's right hand. That through the resurrection and ascension, Jesus is seated at the Father's right hand. And he's been given a name that is above every name in heaven and on earth. And every name that is named in this age and in the age to come. And one day every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's the kind of politics I'm into, y'all. Ask Kelly, she'll tell you, this is the kind of politics I love. You see, yeah, but but what about Washington, D.C.? What about November 3rd? What about voting? What about this issue and that issue? Listen, all of that is fine and dandy and wonderful. But you see, Washington, D.C. is just a shadow of where the real power is. Even people who think they have power because they won a few votes, they're just cheap knockoffs compared to King Jesus. I'll tell you where the real power is. And it's not in the United Nations. It's not in the European Union. It's not in some prime minister or president or dictator who thinks they're in charge. See, this is the lie that both parties are in on. Both parties want you to see that if you give them your vote, then they will be in power. But you see, as Christians, we see through the lie. We know where the real power is. See, I I, I can't tell you the future. I don't know who will be president on November 3rd, but I do know who will be king. 
I do know who will reign over the nations. I do know whose inheritance the nations are. It's been promised to the Messiah. It's been promised to our Jesus. And he rules and reigns with love, with grace, and with mercy. See, we are so, it's so easy to cling on to these politicians, to cling on to say, well, we, we need this person to get elected. We need them because we're worried about what will happen if, if they don't. We need to hold on to this or to fight for that. And I'm not saying that's bad. I'm not even saying be neutral. I listen to political commentators. I have passions about certain issues, and that's all wonderful. But, but the problem is when you compare these politicians in the light of the risen and ascended Son of God, those politicians, they lose their luster. They lose their beauty. They lose their glory. They cease to have real power because you see them for what they really are. They're just people like you and me. Holding on to these politicians like we, we need them and we're afraid without them. It's like clinging on to a candle on a bright summer day. In the light of the risen Christ, everything changes. In the light of the ascended Christ, everything changes. You see, there's a better hope. There's a better joy. Because you and I are part of a better kingdom. And some of you might be wondering, yeah, this is all fine and good, but who should I vote for? Who's God's choice to rule America? This will come as no surprise what I'm about to say. But if you want to know who God's choice is, scriptures actually make it very clear. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Peter, Paul, they all tell us who God's choice is for America and all the nations, and it's Jesus Christ. And he demonstrated that Jesus was his choice by raising him from the dead and seating him at his right hand. He says, ask of me, and I will give you the nations as your inheritance. And you see, this, this provides a confidence which is way better than anything you can get by voting. See, because if your candidate loses, you'll be crushed, you'll be angry, you'll be sad. But even if your candidate wins, you'll be happy for about five seconds. Because then you're worried about how to keep them in power. And even if they do get reelected, there's another election in four years. And here's the excellent news about the kingdom of God. Not only is Jesus king right now, but he'll be king tomorrow, and he'll be king forevermore. He's been on the throne for 2,000 years, and he's still going strong. He's just getting started. And when he's done, all of heaven and earth will be made new. There's no campaign promise like that one. This is a hope and a joy that is unshakable. This will give you a grounding that no matter who gets elected, you can have this rock-solid confidence because Jesus is still running the show. Here's what Romans 14, 17 says. The kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Now, maybe it's just me, but I have a suspicion that our politics could use some peace and joy. And let me tell you, if you find yourself running out of righteousness, peace, and joy, maybe it's because you've forgotten which kingdom you're a part of. Because in his kingdom, it's all righteousness. In his kingdom, it's all joy. In his kingdom, it's all peace. 
And so if you find yourself anxious about what's coming, nervous about the election, I can tell you there's a better joy, and it'll last forever, a better confidence. And you see, this joy, believe it or not, it's election-proof. It's Republican-proof. It's Democrat-proof. It's people-who-don't-vote-proof. It's Middle East-proof. It's Russia-proof. It's China-proof. Why? Because it doesn't matter what happens in this nation, Jesus will still be king. This is why Christian slaves taken from their homes in Africa and brought here to this country could have hope and confidence even when terrible, unjust things were happening. Why? Because Jesus was still in charge. It's why Christians in the Middle East today can worship even if it's in a little house church where they have to sing quietly so their neighbors don't hear. Even they can celebrate because it doesn't matter what dictator or Muslim leader is trying to persecute them, Jesus is still the King of kings and Lord of lords. It's why Christians in the first century, there's data showing about martyrdom in the early church in the first few centuries. It's why Christians in the Roman Empire could be praying and singing as they were fed to lions in the Colosseum. Why? Because no matter what Caesar said, Jesus was still the true Lord of the world. See, this is a confidence that we have, church, which goes so far beyond what either party will tell you. It's better, it's stronger. And so for me, this is how I build my view of politics. Too often we start with our view of politics and then we try and squeeze Jesus into it. It's funny, if you talk to people, everybody has a Jesus that looks exactly like them. Of course, Jesus looks like this and acts like this, but we don't start with our view of politics. We start with our view of the gospel. We start with the crucifixion and resurrection and the kingdom bringing life of Jesus. And then we allow that to shape our politics, our finances, our time, and every area of our life. And so when you believe in this God, when you believe in Jesus as Messiah, you're not just adopting some worldview in your mind. This isn't just some feel-good spirituality while the real action is in Washington. No, this is the current reality of the universe. And when you believe in this Jesus, you're transferring your allegiance to the world's true king. That's what it means to be a follower of Jesus. That's what it means to confess that Jesus is Lord. To say that Jesus is Lord is to say that Caesar is not Lord. It's to say that the powers of darkness are no longer in charge, that all powers in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, as Colossians says, are now submitted to Jesus as king. So how do we relate now to our nation? So we live in America. Most, if not all of us, are American citizens. So how does this allegiance to Jesus relate to our nation? There's a story in Matthew, Mark, and Luke where just a few days before Jesus goes to the cross, there's this intense atmosphere. Religious leaders 
are giving Jesus a hard time. They try and trap him. And so they come to him and they say, Jesus, you're wise, you're, you're smart. Should we pay taxes to Caesar or should we not? Now, this sounds like, maybe for most of us, a random question about paying our taxes. But it's more than that. Because at that time, the people of Israel were under the leadership of the Roman Empire. And so for most messiahs, they would say, don't give your taxes to Caesar. In fact, some of them, some of the Jewish people would not even have Roman coins because Roman coins had Caesar's image on them saying that Caesar was Lord. And the Jewish people felt that that coin was almost like an idol. It was a violation of the commandment not to make any carved images. And so they wouldn't pay taxes to Caesar. And so many Messiah type figures would say, don't pay taxes to Rome. We're setting up a better kingdom, the kingdom of God. And so if Jesus says, don't pay taxes, the people are going to have a violent revolution and Jesus will most likely be killed by the Romans. Now, on the other hand, if Jesus says, I want you to pay taxes to Rome, give Caesar your taxes, then it would have looked like Jesus was saying, I'm not building a kingdom after all. Let's just follow under the Roman Empire and just uh, follow what Caesar is doing as Lord. And so Jesus here, he's kind of in this trap, but here's Jesus' response. Mark 12, Jesus says, bring me a denarius, that's the coin, to look at. So they brought him a coin. Whose image and inscription is this? He asked them. Caesar's, they replied. So Jesus told them, give to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. Now here's why this is brilliant and insightful. So the Roman coins, they had Caesar's image on them. And so Jesus says, what has Caesar's image, right? Whose image is on this coin, right? So it's Caesar's coin, Caesar's image. And if it has Caesar's image, it must belong to Caesar. So give Caesar what he's owed, but give God what belongs to him. So here's this interesting thing here where Jesus says, because the coins have Caesar's image, they belong to him. But give to God the things that have his image. What things bear God's image? Humans. In fact, this word image is the same word that the Greek version of the Old Testament used all the way back in Genesis 1 when it said God made human beings in his image. That because we have God's image, we belong to him. So here's what Jesus is saying. Yes, give Caesar your taxes. I'm not here to start a violent revolution, but you don't belong to Caesar. Maybe your coins do, but your heart doesn't. Give Caesar your taxes, but don't give him your heart. You don't belong to Caesar. You don't belong to the kingdoms of this world. You don't belong to America. It'd be easier if you said you don't have to pay your taxes either, but I would have liked that a whole lot more, Jesus. Give him your taxes, but not your heart. Give him your obedience, but not your allegiance. Because you don't belong to Caesar. Our citizenship is in the kingdom of heaven. Our citizenship is in the kingdom of God. 
And that's not because America is a bad nation. I've had the opportunity to live overseas. I've had the opportunity to travel to India, to Africa, to Europe. I've been all over Central America. I am grateful for this country. I'm grateful to be American. All of that is great and wonderful, but America didn't die for me. America didn't rescue me from sin. America didn't take me out of darkness and into God's marvelous light. And so our allegiance is reserved for one. Here's a quote from C.S. Lewis in his book, The Weight of Glory. Here's what he says about our allegiance to our nation and how that interacts with our allegiance to God. He's writing about World War II. He says, I believe our cause to be as human causes go, very righteous. And I therefore believe it to be a duty to participate in this world, in this war, World War II. He says, thus, we have a duty to rescue a drowning man, and perhaps if we live on a dangerous coast, to learn life-saving so as to be ready for any drowning man when he turns up. It may be our duty to lose our own lives in saving him. He's using this analogy about the war. But if anyone devoted himself to life-saving in the sense of giving it his total attention so that he thought and spoke of nothing else, and he demanded the stopping of all other human activities until everyone had learned to swim, he would be a maniac. Here's what he says. I want you to hear this. The rescue of drowning men is then a duty worth dying for, but not worth living for. A man may have to die for his country, but no man must in any exclusive sense live for his country. He who surrenders himself without reservation to the claims of a nation or a party or a class is rendering unto Caesar that which belongs to God himself. He uses this analogy of life-saving, right? That it may be good to save someone if they're drowning, maybe even to lose your own life to do it, maybe even to become a lifeguard. But if you said all human activity has to stop till we all learn to swim, if we commit ourselves, all of us, to being a lifeguard and teaching people to swim, that would be ridiculous. It would be crazy. So he says being a lifeguard is saving someone from drowning. Is, it's a duty that's worth dying for but not worth living for. And he says that's how it is with our nation, that a day may come when some of us fight and maybe even die for our nation, but, but no man, no woman must ever live for their nation because we are living for a better kingdom. We are living for a kingdom where the king has died not just to save America, not simply to make America great again. He died to rescue people from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation for himself. The Lamb's blood has purchased people from every tribe, from every nation, and so we belong to this kingdom. Now, I got to wrap this up here, so Julie, why don't you come on up? I want to give you a few practical points here at the end. Sometimes you can hear a sermon like this and think, yeah, I understand, I'm tracking with you, but sometimes it can be hard to see our own heart. The Bible says that the human heart is deceitful above all else. And sometimes idols creep into our lives. And oftentimes, idols are not evil things or bad things. 
Idols are oftentimes good things which you and I elevate above the Lord. And so here I want to give you a few practical tests to check your own heart. And this is for all of us here today. Ways to know if you've given your allegiance to America or a party instead of the kingdom of God. I got a bunch of these here. Number one, if you're more known for your politics than your love. You see, some of you would say, yeah, but pastor, the Bible says we should fight for this or be passionate about that. Yes, absolutely. But more than God told you to fight for this or to fight for that, he said the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God and to love your neighbor as yourself. And so this is one of the ways that you can test your heart. Number two, if you have anxiety about the election. I heard a pastor say one time, look at what you're afraid of. And if you look at that fear, you can trace it right back to your heart and find the idol. That if you have fear about your finances, maybe you're making finances an idol. If you're anxious about your job and you're not sure what's going to happen, some some nerves, that's normal. But when it becomes a, a gripping anxiety, that can be a sign of an idol in our lives. Here's number three. If you have... If you feel you have more in common with your fellow citizens or party members than you feel with brothers or sisters in Christ from different nations or different parties. See, you and I have way more in common with the person sitting on the other side of the room who votes differently than we have with someone from a different country or a different party. We have more in common with a believer living in India than we have with a fellow American who's not given their allegiance to Jesus. Here's another one. If you see people from other nations or other parties as your enemy. See, the Bible says the battle is not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and spiritual forces of darkness. So who's the real enemy here? Is it people from those nations, people from that party? Or is the battle against spiritual forces? Another one, if you have more confidence in voting than witnessing, praying, and serving the city. Now, I'm not saying voting's bad. If there's a a party that lines up with your views and more importantly, lines up with the Bible, do it, absolutely, go for it. But but we we can never replace prayer reaching out to the lost, serving the city, sharing the good news of Jesus. That's how the kingdom grows. doesn't matter. We've had Democrats and Republicans for a hundred years in this country, and America is not a Christian nation. So if a politician could have fixed it, it would have happened a long time ago. So where is our focus? Last one here. If you're more concerned with what people believe about your favorite candidate than what they believe about Jesus. There's a million of these. We see how people feel about Donald Trump or Joe Biden or Joe Jorgensen for the libertarians out there. No matter how people feel about that candidate, does not matter nearly as much as how people feel about Jesus. 
So this, this message today, it's probably not some earth-shattering thing. Nobody's going to leave this room and be like, I didn't know Jesus was the Messiah. Thanks for telling me. It's a question of focus. You can tell where your idols are by looking at what you spend your time thinking about. What you spend your time worrying about. What you chew on. What you hope for. Those things can tell us where our hearts really are. I want to close here with a, a quote and a Bible verse, and then we'll wrap it up. Dr. Derwin Gray said this, Don't let an elephant or a donkey rip apart what the lamb has brought together. I love that. Don't let an elephant or a donkey rip apart what the lamb has brought together. Church, there's only one who deserves your allegiance. There's only one. Only one who deserves our allegiance. Now, you and I happen to live in America, and that's great, and that's wonderful. But first and foremost, we belong to the kingdom of God. And then we are Americans. And then, thirdly, if you have a party that lines up with your views, that's great. But you're an American before that, and way before that, you belong to the kingdom of God. Final verse here in closing. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3. One of my favorite verses. I know I say that all the time. I got all kinds of favorite verses. It says this. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact expression of God's nature. And he sustains all things by his powerful word. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. I'm convinced that if we focused on that way more than what's happening with the last debate, what's happening in the news cycle, what the polls are saying, and none of that's bad. I love all that stuff. I track all that stuff. But if our focus was here more than on that other stuff, I'm convinced that we'd have a lot more peace, a lot more joy, and a lot more righteousness. It's so easy to get caught up in all these different things. I'm not saying it doesn't matter. I'm just saying it doesn't matter as much as Caesar wants you to believe. I'm just saying it doesn't matter as much as the politicians want us to believe. Because Jesus has been raised up to the Father's right hand. Keep your eyes on Jesus, church. The book of Isaiah says that of the increase of his government, there will be no end. Revelation says that one day the kingdoms of this world will become the kingdom of our God and of his Christ, and he will reign forever. Church, he reigns. He reigns on November 2nd, and he's going to reign on November 3rd. He reigned in 2019, and he still reigns in 2020, believe it or not. And he'll reign in 2021 and 2022. And now and forever, you and I will turn our eyes to the Lamb who's seated on the throne, and we will worship him day and night forever as King of kings and Lord of lords.